You're listening to Nurses on Fire, the podcast for nurses by nurses aspiring to financial independence. This is our weekly conversations with the CFP edition, where certified financial planners join us to have honest money conversations that guide nurses like you on their path to financial freedom. If you want to get your questions answered, make sure you head over to nursesonfirepodcast.com slash ask to be featured in an upcoming episode. All right, Nurses on Fire. We are back and we have a special treat. We have a new certified financial planner, Marie Thomason. Hey, Marie. Hi, Nasima. Thank you so much for having me. I am so honored for you to be here. So please share with the people a little bit about your background, what you do. Sure. So I am a financial planner who works with women with progressive values. So big emphasis on things that don't usually come into the financial realm, but I believe that you can't really separate economics from your finances. And so that's kind of what we're talking about today too with responsible investing. Yes. And I just barely brushed the surface of socially responsible investing. And so I am looking forward to deep diving into this subject with you because I know you have some gems and some really practical tools for people. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the hardest things about responsible investing is one, there's like all these acronyms and there's so much information, but a lot of it can be really hard to put into action. So usually when there's, you know, uh, when you're overwhelmed with information, but nothing actionable, then then it's really easy to do nothing because you don't even know what to do, where to start, where you have the most impact. Yes, it is super hard. And I think like the concept is really new to people, especially my audience, because (laughs) most people are just really new to investing in general. And so to know that First of all, there's so many options out there, but to know that their dollars can actually make an impact while helping them build their wealth, I think is like mind blowing to a lot of people. Yeah. And I mean, generally speaking, the whole idea of responsible investing or whatever you want to call it is actually pretty new. So what I wanted to start with today, because we're going to do a series on this, is just to give kind of a general overview of what socially responsible or sustainable investing is, like where it came from and how it originated and where it is today. And then what we'll do is as we go through each of the the next podcasts is we'll discuss one actionable idea that I've broken out between spend, save, and invest and easy, medium, hard. So every week we'll talk about something new, But I think that it's really important to just step back a little bit before we do that and have a little context because it is new. It's like all of a sudden, you know, I I remember my kids are 10 and I remember posting pictures to like blogger or something through my email. And then all of a sudden it's like Instagram and you're like, where did this come from? Right? Like that's kind of what socially responsible investing is. It's like, wait, wait a minute. I think that, you know, it actually has a really um, interesting history. And so just knowing and understanding where it came from, I think will give you a lot of perspective and it'll make all the acronyms sort of like make sense. 
All right. Let's hear about this history. And I love that analogy, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, thank God I don't have to, to, you know, like post through my email anymore. It was, yeah, it was insane. And then having to transfer all the photos over is like a whole other issue, but that, that could be a whole conversation. So but it's equally painful. Like responsible investing is equally painful. That's the thing, right? Like we're in the 2010 iteration still when you think about it. And so there's a lot that needs to be done in terms of technology and availability and actionability and, you know, government oversight regulation. Like this is a complete shit show for lack of a better word. So Really, this all started in the 60s and it came about and the original term for it was socially responsible investing. And it's because people were pissed. This is this is when people were getting really upset. And there's so many parallels to what's going on today. But people were getting upset about the Vietnam War, about apartheid in South Africa. And they were like, hell no, I'm not going to invest in companies that are supporting apartheid in South Africa that are providing defense and and weapons, you know, for the Vietnam War that are killing our soldiers for, for a needless war. And so what happened is you ended up with this group of, you know, of activist investors that sprang out of this larger activism. That's really what happened. So just like today, we've got you know, the social justice and BLM movement, which is, it has probably moved sustainable investing forward, like, sadly enough, like a decade, right, just because of what's going on. And so, and and this is what happened back in the 60s. This is how it came about, because the way our economic system was created and the way capitalism works, it was never intended to account for people's well-being. It, it's always about the bottom line. Like that is literally the definition of capitalism is the shareholder's best interest. So that's all fine and good when everyone's a shareholder. But when you look and you look at the, the demographics and you're like, well, you know, only the, the top 10% of Americans, you know, are, are really like lucky enough to be shareholders, then, you know, who do we care about here? So anyways, so let me just, you know, go back before I get on my, on my pulpit there. But so socially responsible investing, it was really kind of what they call a negative screen. So like, no, I'm not going to invest in any company that is contributing to war or violence or tobacco or alcohol. This is where the religious-based values came into play in a big way. Like, no, I do not want to support birth control, right? Like the Catholic Church, also trending (laughs) these days for like very infamous reasons. And so it was very much like, hell no, we're not investing in those companies. So take those companies out of my portfolio and I will take whatever is left. So this is very much like somebody who's willing to to die on the sword because you are willing to lose diversification lose return from companies that are probably killing it by killing people, right? And say like, no, like, I'm not about this. And so that, that's where it got its start. 
So let me just let me just ask you a question. Why wouldn't people then just take their money out of the market? Okay, so this goes kind of back to like just basic personal finance 101, which is where, you know, it's really tough because if you don't invest in the market, you're going to get killed by inflation and purchasing power. And specifically, I work, you know, primarily with women. Women are typically have really much better savers than the men, a little more risk aware, I like to call it, as opposed to risk averse, because we're not the ones who are like going all in on crypto and losing our houses. And yet it's the, the silent killer is inflation. If you don't invest, then you are likely to live a very unhappy retirement or whatever you want to call it, because you are not keeping up with your ability to buy a loaf of bread. So this is, you know, it's like a double-edged sword. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And so this is where activists, even if you take a lower return, you're still doing much better than doing nothing. And anyways, even if you have your money in a bank, what is that bank doing with your money, right? Like this is a tangled web and we're really only going to scratch the surface. You know, at least in this first go round, we can go down the rabbit hole, but this is one of the big challenges is like one question leads to another and leads to another. And so this socially responsible investing, it was just, you know, kind of doing its thing. It was like this edge hippy dippy movement, right? Like not a lot of people did it. And your typical, you know, bank advisor, financial advisors, like, whoa, no, you know, like you're going to lose, you're going to lose 2% return. Why would you ever do that? Because also keep in mind who's working at banks, who are financial advisors. It's the top 10%, right? Like why would they go against their own best interest? So that kind of just chugged along and it was very much a fringe thing. And then now starting to get into a little bit closer into like our life lifetimes is the 1990s is the first time like climate change ever became like a word, right? I think it was Clinton who, who kind of started that. And incidentally, moving on to the next phase of sustainable investing, which is called the ESG, which stands for environmental social governance. And it's different aspects. So, you know, climate change, environmental, like people usually get that, right? So it, it makes a lot of sense. Don't ruin our planet. And then you have these other metrics, social metrics, like, you know, how well are people paid? How many people are getting hurt on the job? And then actual overall governance, like who's on the board? You know, it's the 1%. And that's what it was when this all started. And this idea of ESG came about in 2005. And it was, it was basically of a, an evolution of this climate change debate. So suddenly you go from the social responsibility, like, you know, no guns, no birth control, that sort of thing, to all of a sudden people are like, uh-oh, like, you know, climate change, we need to think about this. So ESG investing, it didn't really take off until the Great Recession. And the reason for that is because 2008, 2009, you know, if you weren't invested in it, you still know what happened from it, right? Like markets were down, everything was down, people lost their houses, like it was, it was just a bad time. 
And what happened at that time is that these socially responsible portfolios, they were just like, they were awful. So the returns on them were just terrible. And so now you've got a bunch of portfolio managers, like these guys in the ivory towers, who are like, well, we need to package this a little bit better because we need better returns because we need people buying these things. So this ESG is really where you got the lipstick on the pig packaging coming in because the recovery 2010, 2011, the, the driver of the market recovery came from fracking. I don't know if you recall, remember this, but like those returns, that was like shale when they were fracking for shale in Texas and North Dakota and it was all over and and there's all these news about like the railroads and the tankers exploding and and whatnot. And that's where the driver of returns were coming from. So you can bet that somebody with a socially responsible portfolio was like, no, except now those portfolios have awful returns. So they they shifted their marketing, basically. They repackaged these like idealistic portfolios into something they call ESG. And basically it went from being like, no, I'm not going to invest in a company that is supplying guns, you know, for, for war to being like, well, we're going to pick the best in class. So like best in class really means like the best of the worst. Because why is Exxon in an ESG portfolio? Well, Exxon is in an ESG portfolio because of marketing. That's why, because somebody's got to make their money. And so it's basically like, this is where shareholder advocacy, you know, really started to, to bloom. And I will say that, that enough time has passed that I think despite, I don't, I think this is like unintended consequences, to be honest, all the shareholder advocacy and, and the spotlight on companies and what they're doing, I think it has less to do with ESG portfolios and more to do with, with social media and people being able to actually understand what companies are up to and what they're doing. But suddenly now you have this platform, very democratic platform, like no matter who you are or how much money you have, you can start talking shit about like Nike or Exxon or, you know, whomever it is, right? And so just, I think just because of the times, ESG portfolios started to become more relevant. So when you look at ESG portfolios today, yes, they're, they're better, but they're, they've still got Halliburton in it. Like, you know, that's the defense contractor. They still have Exxon in there. And they're like, well, you know, they give their employees 401ks and like three weeks of vacation. So there you go. It's better than than the schmuck that, you know, like Amazon, for example, that's got people like sweating in, in warehouses making $11 an hour. And so, you know, maybe Amazon's not in, in that class, but they probably are. Like they probably are in there somewhere because they are doing something okay. And that's kind of, that's kind of the screen for ESG. So ESG is really, really popular today. And I'm, and I'm not, saying all of this to say you shouldn't do it, but it's like, that's like the, that's like the bare minimum that portfolio should be at. Like it's literally the bare minimum. And, and today 
there's no reason not to invest in ESG portfolios because companies that are actually looking at, you know, shocker to all of us, the women on, on the board have higher returns, like, duh. <laughs> you know, we already know that they're probably going to do better because, the, you know, the company's maybe not completely overran with, you know, sociopath CEOs. And so those companies are actually doing much better and because sustainability is, is becoming a focus. And so now, now, and this was not the case 10 years ago, ESG portfolios are looking through the sustainability lens. Those companies are actually very competitive. And again, I, I'm not, those companies really is just, you know, the, the oftentimes like the best, best in class or best of the worst is what it is. So that's like, you know, that's just kind of baseline. If you say on average, you get, you know, let's call it an 8% return. I think historically, you know, people use like a 9% return, but it, it seems a little high, especially right now. And, and let's say inflation is 2%. So you back that out because that's not really your money that you're earning. You're just like keeping up. So a 6% return for a conventional portfolio, nowadays, like ESG portfolios are matching that, you know, on a, a real return basis, which means after inflation. So there's basically no reason not to invest in an ESG portfolio. And a lot of ESG, and it depends on the asset class. So this gets a little bit into into the technical details, but, you know, if, if asset class is just referring to it, like, are you this like mega cap company like Amazon, or are you a small little, you know, relatively nimble company like Lululemon? You know, how fast can you pivot? Small companies, Amazon 20 years ago was a small company, had huge monster returns. Now Amazon of today, they're never going to see that same type of return again, Right. So it's a matter of always being diversified. But if you look at a diversified portfolio with, you know, let's call it vanilla or conventional portfolios, ETFs, mutual funds, companies, it's going to, it's going to match an ESG portfolio and an ESG portfolio, quite frankly, over the next 10 years, I would not be surprised if it started to beat the conventional. Because companies that are looking at ways to be sustainable, oftentimes they're cutting costs too, right? So they're cutting costs, you know, people care, people talk about it, people are willing to pay more money for a company that they know, like, you know, maybe I don't have to throw this thing out in two years because they designed it to, to explode. So there's, there's really no big difference. So, and that's why I, I'm very adamant about ESG just being kind of the baseline. So for the fees, however, fees are, there's more fees for an ESG portfolio. You can't get around it. So is it because it's more actively managed because they have to actually go in and make sure that those companies are complying? So you're getting what you pay for. <laughs> you literally, you get what you pay for. So there is no way around it. And we've been brainwashed to, you know, the Vanguard, Bogle, passive investing. There's nothing wrong with this. Like there's nothing fundamentally wrong with this approach. But if you care then you have to pay. You, you, you're going to have to pay because somebody has to do the work 
to sit there and sift through the company's 10Ks, have conversations with investor relations to do their due diligence. Like this is all very much active management. And so a lot of people who are like, you know, like I call myself a quasi passive asset manager. Like I would love to be passive, but you can't be passive unless you don't care. Like, that's just what it is, right? So, you know, if you don't care, great, be passive. Like, nothing wrong with that. But if you care, you, you can't be passive. Relate this to basically life generally. But everything that's going on today, you know, you can't, you can't be passive. So you're going to pay more. But and I and I say the the easiest way to get to somebody's pockets or to change somebody's opinion is to hit them where the money is, like hit them in their pockets, like you have to. And so investing is your tool in order to do that because now you're a shareholder in these companies. So yeah, we can't be passive. And I feel like a lot of us are passionate about issues, but we don't know how to affect change. And I feel like this is a major way that we can do that. It's, it's a major way. And you have to remember that US GDP, it's like basically like the paycheck of the United States, right? Like we're paying taxes and everything. 70% of it comes from consumers. Like as consumers, collectively, we have all the power. We can change the dynamic. We can totally do it, but you just have to have enough people, you know, on board and, and you have, and you, you know, depending on where you're at, you have to make it easy because it's a struggle living in the United States. It's 100% a struggle. And so, you know, I, I feel like the, the system is kind of stacked against the average American. You know, when we talk about freedom in the U.S., really what we're talking about is economic freedom because you don't have social, you know, safety nets. You don't have social support. So you don't have access to, you know, equal healthcare, equal education, like a lot of these things. And so, you know, like, how are you going to worry about like sustainable investing when you're just trying to get through the day? So if you have the means, if you have the means to invest, if you, if you have the privilege to be listening to this and be able to take action on it, it is like your moral obligation to do this. That's what I think. Like, not everybody has this privilege. So if you don't, like, let's have a conversation. No, I get it. I get it. But I know, like, for me personally, like, I haven't because I don't understand it yet, right? And so that's why I'm so juiced about us having this series because now we get to have a deep dive. We can all understand it and we don't have any more excuses. <laughs> uh, yes, no more excuses. And so recently, like, the hot, you know, word is impact investing. So, it, you know, like you hear about impact investing and it's all about social justice, social equity, you know, all these things, you know, environmentalism, economic inequality, gender inequality, like looking through those lens. And it really is taking us back to the socially responsible. It's taken us back to the 60s, right? You had people who were protesting in the street over the Vietnam War and now we have people protesting in the street over social inequalities that have just become eyed in the last, you know, 40, 50 years. So it's, it's only gotten worse. 
And so now it's, again, it, 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 we've come to that point where you're part of the solution or you're part of the problem. And so impact investing is just like a new way and, and they kind of break it apart a little bit more, a new way of looking at socially responsible investing. So we've, we've come full circle. There's, there's a lot of um, parallels. All right. So just to wrap it up, you know, we started with socially responsible investing that began in the 60s as a reaction to things like the Vietnam War and apartheid in South Africa. And it sort of morphed as the environment became a, a big deal and people started thinking about climate change. And today there's really no reason to not invest at the very least according to sustainable investing principles with, with ESG. A lot of common wisdom will say, you know, just invest the market and then give money where you can. That's all fine and good, but, you know, half the West Coast is on fire. So how much did, good did that actually do us? So it is not enough. To, to be philanthropic, and that's a good thing, but we have to invest our values. We, you know, we have to use the environment as a baseline. There's no reason not to. It costs a little more, but just like you said, you get what you pay for, and on an apples-for-apples apples basis, the returns are, are the same, if not increasingly better than a conventional portfolio. So we've really come full circle to with impact investing, and basically social responsible investing through these very well-defined lenses nowadays of gender, race, economic inequality, and sexual preferences, you name it. So it's, it's an absolute, you know, it's a moral imperative. And if you're not doing it, why? Yes, yes, yes. I love it. Why? Because you can't say that you don't know now, just like I can't say I don't know. And so, yes, this is great. This is great. Well, you know the why now. So now we got to dig into the how. So that's what we'll be talking about on the next episode. We're going to find out how we can start investing responsibly or impact investing now. <laughs> Absolutely. I can't wait. Hope that you've enjoyed the episode and that you've learned something new to set you on your path to financial independence. If you love this episode, please share, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want us to go over your financial situation or have your questions answered, head on over to Nurses on Fire Podcast slash ask and have us do an analysis of your individual financial situation. And don't worry, we'll keep you anonymous. Thank you for listening to my mommy's podcast. And don't forget to subscribe. Bye-bye.